This is exactly right. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines. And June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out. You never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. As we passed along the reeking banks of the sewer, the sun shone upon a narrow slip of the water. In the bright light, it appeared the color of strong green tea and positively looked as solid as black marble in the shadow. Indeed, it was more like watery mud than muddy water. And yet, we were assured that this was the only water the wretched inhabitants had to drink. As we gazed in horror at it, we saw drains and sewers emptying their filthy contents into it. We saw a whole tier of doorless privies in the open road, common to men and women, built over it. We saw a little child, from one of the galleries opposite, lower a tin can with a rope to fill a large bucket that stood beside her. As the little thing dangled her tin cup as gently as possible into the stream, a bucket of night soil was poured down from the next gallery. I want to say two things. Yes. One, I support the use of the words privy and night soil, both. (laughs) (laughs) Night soil, by the way, is human feces used as uh, compost. Poopy, poopy, poop. Poop. Also, that's disgusting. That's my second point. So I'm going to give you a little context to that. That came from an article describing the ground zero of 1849's cholera outbreak in London. That was London? That was London. That's a city. Yeah. And it was that just poop well, everywhere. There are a lot of cities that continue to be very poor sanitation Ugh. just due to lack of uh, funds for public health infrastructure. Oh, my God. Uh, welcome to This Podcast Will Kill You. Episode four. Today we're talking about cholera. cholera. <laughs> I'm Aaron, And I'm also Aaron. And before we get into the meat of this week's episode, we want to ask you, dear listeners, dearest darling listeners, <laughs> to rate, review, and subscribe. Because we love you and we want to know how much you love us. Just kidding, but not really. Rating, reviewing, and subscribing is how other people are able to find our podcast. Um, so wherever you listen to your podcast, please, please, please take a moment to just, you know, click five stars or whatever. Or, you know, anything you want, whatever's (laughs) in your heart. And also we are on all the social medias. We're on Twitter, Instagram, 
Facebook. So, you know, if you want to keep up to date on little trivia about whatever infectious diseases, you know where to find us. See some grody photos and also get our drink recipes. Oh, yeah, that's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, Erin. Yeah. I want to hear about cholera now. Tell me all about it. Let's talk about it. As it turns out, which I did not know before doing this research, cholera is really complicated. It's a complicated little bugger. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So I'm going to hit on the real basics of the biology of this disease, and I want to encourage y'all to read more, or heck, if you research cholera and I get it wrong... Give us a shout out. Let me know that we're so incorrect about things. We are open to being corrected. Mm -hmm, Very mm -hmm, open. mm -hmm. Okay, so cholera. Cholera is a disease that's caused by a bacteria called Vibrio cholera, uh, which is a facultative pathogen. So that means that in addition to causing disease in humans, it also can persist in the environment and reproduce in the environment. Uh, Usually in water, especially brackish water, so like at river mouths near the ocean and things like that is where it persists. Can you give me an example of an obligate pathogen? Smallpox? Okay, so smallpox, it can exist in the environment, but it can only persist if there is a human host for it to infect. Exactly. It can't reproduce without infecting a host, whereas cholera can actually reproduce in the environment. But there are also bacteria, maybe leprosy bacteria, which also can't reproduce without being in a host. It's also an obligate um, pathogen. Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever? Yeah, definitely. Right. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, generally cholera is transmitted fecally orally, which means you have to ingest fecally contaminated water or food, especially shellfish, um, which live in water. Right? Really? Yeah, icky. Because a lot of shellfish are filter feeders, so they just filter all the poop out of the water, and then you eat it. Yum. You want to get some clams after this? So that's how you actually get infected. The infectious dose of cholera is actually really high, which means that you have to ingest a whole bunch of the cholera bacteria to actually get infected. And there are a bunch of different strains of the Vibrio cholera bacteria, but only two of them actually cause the vast majority of the disease. And part of the reason that the infectious dose is so high for cholera is first because it has to survive the super acidic environment of your stomach because you ingest it, right? I think I actually read something about how people who take antiacids yeah. have higher chances of getting cholera. Yeah, did I, saw I that Did too. I preempt you? No, not at all. Okay. I wasn't going to talk about that, but I, I okay. definitely saw that too. So if you yeah. lower the acidity in your stomach, it makes it easier for the cholera to get through that really harsh environment. Super cool. I've also heard something about that along the same lines with stomach cancer. Oh, really? Question mark. Just because there's like various bacteria that can be associated with stomach cancer? No. Well, potentially that, but also because acid will kill off the more like bad cells basically earlier. Oh, that's really interesting. And so if you don't have that pressure. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, this is all like me. This is what scientists shouldn't do, which is just reading abstracts of things. It happens though. (laughs) Okay, and the other reason that there's a really high infectious dose is that after a cholera bacteria survives your stomach, it actually has to swim all the way through the rest of your GI tract and into your small intestine. So it has a little flagellum, which is a tail. So these bacteria actually look like spermies. (laughs) Little sperms. 
I um, think that they make giant microbes of cholera. I think that they are do. really cute. Not probably as cute as Girardia because that's the cutest. Oh, it's so cute. It looks like a little Rastafarian. So once the little spermy bacteria get to your small intestine, they attach themselves to your intestine wall and they begin producing cholera toxin. And this is what actually makes you sick. So it's not the bacteria alone. It's the fact that the bacteria produces this toxin. And what's super crazy and cool about this toxin is that it is actually produced by a bacteriophage. A bacteriophage is pretty much a virus that infects bacteria. I don't know why we have to call bacteria viruses something different, but we do. They look really cool. They also. are really amazing. One time in college, we got like henna paint mm -hmm. and we were all painting henna. And my roommate, Jocelyn, who's awesome, painted the most beautiful bacteriophage on her arm. And I was like, that should be a, I Tattoo. want that. It's beautiful. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So anyways, this bacteriophage has basically inserted part of its genome into the cholera genome, and that is what's actually producing this toxin, which is super interesting to me. That's fascinating. Yeah. And also, are you going to tell me how this toxin works? Because I need to know. Yeah. So basically, this toxin essentially prevents your body from absorbing any water and forces you to push out all of the water in your body out of your intestine, which means you're basically pooping water. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'll talk more about it in just a minute. Okay. So the incubation period, which we've talked about before as the period from when you get infected until when you show symptoms, for cholera is about one and a half days. Wow. That's yeah. very fast. They're super fast little swimmers, um, and they usually attach themselves to your small intestine within 12 to 72 hours of infection. So they're super quick. And another thing that's interesting is that there's kind of a range of symptoms. So some people who get infected are almost entirely asymptomatic. Some people have a rather mild infection. And the ones that we'll talk about the most today have very, very severe infections. And the severity of the illness is likely based both on prior exposure. So if you got it when we, you were young and then you get it again when you're older, you're a little better off. But also on infectious dose. Since like I said previously, it actually takes quite a lot of bacteria to really get you infected. But in the severe cases, which let's face it, that's what we're here for. Mm -hmm. Basically what happens is you just start pooping your guts out. Oh boy. So really like you just poop all of your water out. Adults that have severe infections can poop out, get this, more than a liter of fluid per hour. Oh my God. Are you serious? I'm totally serious. I have so many questions yeah. right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How long can you live by pooping out a liter of fluid an hour? I'm so glad you asked because I did some research. <laughs> <laughs> so we have four and a half to five liters of blood in our body, right? And that's the fluid that's the most available for you to get water out of. Oh my so gosh. if so you think about that, whoa, right. And then we've got another 15 liters of fluid or maybe 10 liters of fluid that's surrounding all of our cells. That's the, we call it interstitial fluid in between our cells, right? Uh -huh. So that's 15 liters, but that's like all the fluid that you have available until you start sucking your actual cells dry. Whoa. Oh my, oh God. my God. Yeah. So is this where the disease got its characteristic symptom? It does. And what's that called? It's called rice water stool. Why is it called that? Because the poop that you're pooping out is literally all bacteria. 
It's just like tons of bacteria and water and dead cells. And it looks like what? Murky, yep. flaky. Yep. It looks like, uh, oh. so if you took a bag of rice and you soaked it and then you drained the rice out, it's the that's starchy- what's left. And what are we drinking right now, actually? Because we forgot to do quarantinis <laughs> You're earlier. Right. You're so right about that. <laughs> Tonight we're drinking rice water stool. Oh. <laughs> Uh, can I can I provide a little correction? Yeah. We're drinking a quarantini that we named rice water oh. stool. <laughs> it actually uh, is composed of cholera bacterium. No, just kidding. <laughs> it's composed of rum chata, about a one and a half ounces of rum chata, chai, three ounces of chai concentrate or a really strong chai tea, and a half an ounce of whiskey. Yep. Feel free to add more whiskey. It'll just look more realistic. Because it will curdle. Yeah. But the most important part of this recipe (laughs) is to gently warm it to body temperature. (laughs) It's actually pretty delicious. It's surprisingly good, you guys. I don't like warm drinks that are like alcoholic, but this is, it's tasty. It's perfect for this time of year. It is. It's really good. Oh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) Yeah. Rice water stool. Mm. Cheers. Cheers. With our mugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so severely ill patients will have poop that is literally a trillion individual bacteria per gram of poop. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa is right. I did that like a hundred times to make sure I was getting the number right. It's absolutely ridiculous. Which also makes sense why epidemics happen and are so easy to spread. And the other reason is because, like I said, not everyone gets this severe illness. So people who have a mild illness are still pooping out about a million bacteria per gram of poop. And even patients who are completely asymptomatic can be shedding about 10 to 100,000 bacteria per gram of poop. That's really interesting. Yes. The biggest range, I mean, obviously there's a huge range in the number of bacteria per gram of poop, but also people who are severely ill are not just shedding while they're having massive diarrhea. They're shedding for up to one to two weeks after symptoms have alleviated. And people who have mild illness are shedding for less time. And people who are asymptomatic tend to shed for only about a day or two. Okay. So, yeah, it's crazy. It's There are just tons and tons of this bacteria that are getting into the environment. And the other thing is that since this is a pathogen that can persist in the environment, the types of Vibrio cholera bacteria that you're likely to find in the environment, meaning whether they are toxigenic or non-toxigenic, will largely depend on how many severely ill people you have in that environment. So it's this vicious cycle. Once you have people who are ill in a certain area, they're shedding so forking much virus. I mean, bacteria. Oh, shoot. That's embarrassing. How many times do you think I've said virus? I don't think you have. Okay. So once you have people who are ill in a specific area, they're shedding so forking much bacteria that if you don't have proper sanitation, for example, if you're living in London in 1850 or many places today, right? If you're say pooping in a river and then drinking from that river downstream, or even if you, you know, have like an outhouse or something, but that hole is near a well or upstream of a river, you're just spreading that infection like wildfire. What else do you want to know? So treatment for cholera? Well, the good news is that treatment for cholera, it cholera is a very treatable disease. 
So the World Health Organization basically calls for oral rehydration solution, which is just like salty, sugary water. Gatorade? Kind of. Yeah, pretty much. They have like a proprietary blend, I'm sure. IV? IV for severe infections. Definitely need treatment up to like six liters in the first day. Severe cases might need more than that. Um, So it's quite a lot of liquid that you need. Generally, they don't recommend antibiotics, except in super severe cases, primarily because A, antibiotics are wiping out all of the good bacteria in your gut, right? which can make it so that you're very susceptible to other potentially more serious diseases. Well, and cholera has kind of done that. Like if you have a severe infection of cholera, it pretty much has taken over your entire intestine anyway. Yeah. And the other thing is that because this is a bacteria that can persist in the environment, antibiotic resistance is a real concern. And it's, it's really kind of cool that it can be treated with just rehydration therapy. Right, yeah. It's generally like a, a fairly short course of disease. The severe cases without treatment, fatality rate is about 50%. Wow. But with treatment, it can be as low as 1%, which is amazing. What about a vaccine? So there is an oral cholera vaccine. Um, there are actually three different types of OCVs. Um, and WHO does have a stockpile of these in case of severe outbreaks and emergencies which we'll probably talk more about when we talk about what's happening with cholera today. Right. Well, that's good that there's a vaccine. Yeah, it's great. Do you know anything about whether it provides long-term? As far as I know, it's not long-term, but it is short-term, and so that's why it's generally used in case of outbreaks. Yeah, so I mean, I feel like that's pretty much the biology of cholera. Am I right? You better be. (laughs) I hope I am. (laughs) (laughs) So can I tell you about the history then? Oh, I cannot forking wait. Okay. It's a good one. Good. I mean, they're all good. Well, yeah. But this is a good one. It's an, it's a, I think as we are both epidemiologists, this is especially close to our heart. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't really talk about the history of cholera without talking about the birth of epidemiology as a field. Yay. The struggle for germ theory to prevail over miasmatism, which is, okay, this word is M-I-A-S-M-A-T-I-S-M. I'm not saying miasma. (laughs) Just FYI. It's not miasma. Yeah. And uh, also the role that modern sanitation practices have played and continue to play in reducing disease burdens. Yeah, definitely. Huge. But let's start a little more simply than that. Let's start with what we know about the origins of the bacterium itself. Since cholera doesn't leave any physical mark on the body that would remain after death, Mm. you can't really detect it in skeletal remains the way that researchers have been able to with like leprosy and smallpox, as we've mentioned. I had never thought about that. Yeah. That is so interesting. It's really cool to look at how you can trace the physical evidence of certain bacteria, because this means that we have to rely more on ancient texts and writings, which may or may not refer to the same disease that we call cholera today. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it makes the history of cholera a little murky. Oh, just like rice like water stool? Rice water stool. <laughs> <laughs> the first mention of cholera comes from the father of Western medicine himself, Hippocrates. In around 500 BC, he uses the word cholera to describe an intestinal illness that causes diarrhea. In fact, it's thought that the word cholera itself comes from the Greek word for gutter, cholera. 
What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so cool. So he may have chosen this word, cholera, to describe the way poop water gushes out of you if you have cholera. Oh, my God. Like the way water gushes out of a gutter. Oh, wow. <laughs> there are some other loose mentions of cholera prior to the 1800s. Your puns are killing me right now. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> but any that were written outside of India were probably just using the term cholera to refer to any diarrheal disease. Okay. It would be like saying, oh man, I ate Taco Bell last night and I've had cholera <laughs> all day today. <laughs> Every time, dude. Every, Every time. <laughs> so it wasn't until the early 1800s that the word cholera was directly linked to one disease caused by one organism, the cholera bacterium. Cool. Yeah. 1800s. 1800s. From Hippocrates to the 1800s. It was it's just jump. in the Indian subcontinent. Interesting. Yeah. In fact, until 1817, cholera was confined entirely to India. Wow. When it would pop up occasionally and cause an epidemic, particularly during religious pilgrimages. Huh. Wonder why. I wonder, oh, I'm about to tell you. <laughs> because during these pilgrimages, there would usually be a lot of people in a very small place. And so a disease like cholera, which relies on high population density, mm -hmm. can really take hold and tear through a population. Just thousands of people shedding trillions of bacteria mm -hmm. and then yeah, drinking poop water. Per gram. Yeah, per gram. Isn't that crazy? That's a lot of that's a lot of poop. It explains why it spread so rapidly. Mm -hmm. Really, the world in 1817 was pretty perfect in terms of opportunities for cholera pandemics. <laughs> I thought you were just going to leave it at perfect. I was like, it's pretty Ooh. perfect. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Women had the right to vote everywhere. <laughs> Global population density uh, was higher than it had ever been in 1817. And trade routes were really well established. So basically bringing the furthest reaches of the world to the doorstep. You know, you could go anywhere much more rapidly than you ever had before or ever could before. But something happened in 1817 to tip the scales from cholera epidemic to cholera pandemic. <gasps> Maybe one or two cholera victims hitched a ride on a ship or a caravan heading east. Who knows? And they continued to shed the cholera bacterium, even if they were felt okay. Can you remind us the difference between an epidemic and pandemic for sure. those people who maybe haven't listened to every one of our episodes? Basically, all the difference between epidemic and pandemic has to do with spatial scale. So epidemic is a lot smaller, regional outbreak, uh, and epidemiologists tend to define pandemic as being either countrywide or global, mm -hmm. multiple countries. Yeah. In in any case, cholera raged for the next seven years in India, wow. China, the Philippines, Mediterranean countries, etc. All of which had probably, except for India, had never seen the disease before. Oh, man. So no immunity. No immunity. People were dying all over the place. Yeah. It was really bad. And this marked the f start of the first of seven cholera pandemics that historians and epidemiologists describe. And they would happen one right after the other, pretty much, in all corners of the world. Yeah, I'm not sure how they defined, like, the edges. I was trying to find that, too, and I couldn't, so... I, I mean, so we're we're currently in the seventh pandemic right, right now. Yeah. And that started a little bit later, which we'll get into uh, more later in the episode. Mm -hmm. The rest of them were sort of almost separated by a year or two. Right. So how could you say? I wonder if it's just that if reports dropped below a certain level, sure. then they considered that epidemic or pandemic over and then the next one started or yeah. whatever. I mean, that that could be it. It's not like we're epidemiologists or anything. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> what we are. 
If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines. And June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out. You never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. During the third pandemic, in walks one of the heroes of this story. Okay, just keep going. I'll sing it. Jon Snow. No, this is not fantasy, disease, ecology, crossover fan fiction. Oh, that'd be great, though. I mean, let's start it. This dude's name really was Jon Snow, uh, but this Jon Snow was an English physician living in London in 1854 when a cholera epidemic broke out. Ooh. Allow me to set the stage for you, Aaron. Thanks. Okay, close your eyes. Closed. It's 1854. Okay, I'm probably wearing like a large dress and a corset. Uh-huh. You probably smell really bad because bathing was never not. Never showered. Yeah, mm-hmm. never showered. Mm-mm. You're living in London. Oh, I might. Mm-hmm. Along with 2.5 million other people. Okay, let me give it, let me give a little a little perspective. The population of London today is 8.7. Oh, million. Okay, yeah. so just a few friends and I. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the city has never been bigger in terms oh. of population density, and as a result, it's been unable to keep up with the rapid population waste output. Oh, yeah, and there's no solution. Uh-oh. The vast majority of people were just tossing out their poop, their food scraps, and their dead pets or other animals into open cesspools that led to the sewer, which was often right next to a water pump. Oi, gubna. A water pump for drinking water. I, I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks. I was just trying to get in the mood. <laughs> also, horse poop was everywhere. Oh, God. Yeah. The waste problem of London and other populous cities at the time was so enormous that there was an entire industry based on sorting through the stuff that got tossed out. Wow. Bone pickers. I was going to say pickers, so that's pretty close. Bone pickers, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Night soil men. Oh, just shoveling through the poop. They would collect the poop and Mm. then use it for fertilizer. Cool. Sewer hunters. These were actual names. I feel like I could be a sewer hunter. Yeah, you could be. I feel like I feel like that's a profession that I could do. Would you want to? Mm, I don't know. Well, you can be. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and that that was just to name a few. There were many more, like in that same ilk. Wow. If you were to travel back in time to this London, mm-hmm. the first thing you would notice was the putrid, pervasive smell of rot and filth. Oh God. And this London is the London that our hero, Jon Snow, experienced every day as he walked to patients' houses. Wow. Like the Jon Snow of HBO. 
<laughs> this Jon Snow was also quiet and methodical, and he was also really curious. Did he have a great jawline? No, he didn't. <laughs> does does the John Snow have HBO? Yeah. Does he? Oh my God, yeah. I feel like he always has facial hair covering it. it well, in the early episodes, he just had little wispies. Oh, He's got a good yeah, jawline. Okay. All right. Anyway, while the epidemic, the cholera epidemic was raging, John Snow set out to do some detective work to see if he could track the pattern of spread uh, to see where the outbreak originated. Mm. And out he went, notebook and pen in hand, <laughs> doing some... Uh, what do you call it? Uh, a cheerio, mate. Can I get a sample of your poop there, love? Kind of like that? Kind of like that, but also shoe leather epidemiology, <laughs> which is what it's a tr it's an actual like a, a yeah. real term. Yeah, it's what people say to do when they do Boots on, on the, the ground. ground epidemiology. Yeah. And so when he went out uh, to try to figure out what the cause of this outbreak was, what he was doing was interviewing people who had any sort of experience with cholera during that time. And what he was looking for was a common thread in all of their stories to see if he could find the cause of this horrible disease. And why was he so interested in this? Well, poop. Poop everywhere. Because he loved poop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, at the time, uh, the prevailing thought was that all disease was spread by miasma. M-I-A-S-M-A. -A, not my asthma. Which is, in other words, unpleasant atmosphere. This was what scientists, physicians thought at the time caused all disease. The wind blew in the wrong way today. The air is all foul. I can't do a British accent. No. I should stop trying. Maybe. I don't know. I should I mean, really stop it. It's I better than hard. I could ever do. I was like really trying really hard to think of something to say there. And I just, I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah. We're losing all listeners oh, in, dear. in the UK. Sorry, loves. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically miasmatists were people who believed that miasma was what spread disease, and they thought that epidemics could be caused by the right weather conditions or mm. proximity to the foul smell coming from the sewer. Miasma or miasmatism to disease biology is kind of like astrology to personality psychology. <laughs> it has it has a whiff of a science. Few people off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It has a whiff of science in its logic, but is mostly based in nonsense. Yeah. But the logic of miasmatism didn't quite make sense to Snow, at least, who recognized that the rate of disease wasn't any higher in the people you'd expect it to be. Right. Like the people who spent so much time uh, in the filth, such as bone pickers, night soil men, etc., which is interesting when you think about it, just because they were probably getting so much poop water on their hands that it could have been that they had higher rates of disease just from being exposed. But I guess when you have exposure just across all boards, then it's kind of, it washes out. Well, or they could have been exposed in low enough dosages. That's very true, yeah. That they would have had an increased resistance. Yeah, that's true. Good yeah. point. Instead, though, the disease seemed to strike somewhat randomly. Huh. Entire families would be wiped out in some houses. <gasps> Seriously, entire families. But others would be completely unscathed. Hmm. To try to make sense of this, he mapped out the cases, which is not the first time that maps had been used to study disease, but it was one of the most remarkable. 
I don't think I knew that. I thought that was like... I thought so too. It was like the the Jon Snow and his maps. It was like a big deal in all of our classes. It it is a big deal because of some of the techniques he used. Ah, uh, yeah. But there were there were maps that were, had been used by the miasmatists at the time oh, to show oh that's disease true. cases like up up on this hill versus down in this valley and mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. Like, right, especially for malaria. Right, right. And so when he looked at the map, he saw a geographical component for sure with most of the cases appearing in a certain neighborhood. But it was the anomalies that struck out to Mm. him. Uh, A woman across town who died during the peak of the epidemic with no other cases around her. Hmm. A brewery smack dab in the area with the highest prevalence, but without any cases at the brewery itself. Oh. Yeah. What was going on? What was going on? Well... During his interviews, Snow gathered info on daily habits of those afflicted with cholera, including where they got their water. Mm. You see, in 1854, there was no indoor plumbing in London, and people got their water from public water pumps, some of which had a better reputation than others. The pump on Broad Street was considered to be one of the higher quality pumps. I'm just feeling so excited, but because this is such a fun story. <laughs> and some people went out of their way to load up on the sweet, sweet tasting water from the Broad Street Pump, unfortunately for them, because uh, that's where all the cholera came from. Uh, in his interviews, Snow heard Broad Street mentioned over and over again. And sure enough, when he marked the site of the Broad Street Pump on his case map, he was basically marking the epicenter of the outbreak. Yeah, with cases just spilling out from there. Oh, it's so cool. All told, 700 people living within 250 yards of the Broad Street pump had died. 700 people? 700 people within 250 yards. Wow. And on Broad Street itself, the population had literally been decimated. 90 of its nearly 900 residents died. That's 10%. Yeah, decimated. Dang. Wow. Yeah. And the anomalies he noticed? Well, the lone case far away from the pump was a woman whose sons brought her Broad Street water every week as it was her favorite. Oh. Yeah, isn't that Poor old lady and her sons just trying to be nice. Yeah. I'll bring you the best water, mama. (laughs) That was better. That was better. (laughs) Uh, I don't think Snow told them. Oh. Eventually. I mean, which is probably a kindness. Yeah, probably. And the workers at the brewery, they never drank water during their shift, only beer. Oh, <laughs> that's the moral of our story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so Snow took his findings to the Board of Governors, who actually, I was shocked about this, did something about it. They ordered that the handle of the Broad Street pump be removed. Of course, by the time they actually removed it, it was pretty much over yeah. the, the epidemic. Yeah. Still, it was a victory for germ theory that marked the birth of epidemiology, which is, as we've mentioned before, the study of patterns of disease in populations. So you would think that by removing the handle of the pump, they were, you know, acknowledging that maybe Jon Snow was right about something. Yeah, I mean, he was the king in the north after all. I mean, yeah. North of London. Bend the knee. Bend the knee, people. To germ theory. <laughs> Oh, that was good. <laughs> it's terrible. That was on the fly. I know it. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, and, and they probably agreed that, yeah, cholera was transmitted by drinking contaminated water. Jon Snow was almost pretty much unique in his, yeah. in his assertion that that was how it was transmitted. But 
like Cersei Lannister of season seven Game of Thrones, they remained firm in their denial. Oh my God. Cholera was transmitted by foul air slash White Walkers weren't a real threat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I had to dig deep for that one. That was good. (laughs) It wasn't until a couple of decades later that Snow would be vindicated or until next season for the other Jon Snow. (laughs) We anticipate. (laughs) I just can't wait. (laughs) Oh, it's like two years from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sadly, Snow, the epidemiologist, would not live to witness his vindication. Oh. Yeah. Does he die of cholera? No. Too bad. He died of a stroke at the age of 45. Oh, dear. When the causative agent of cholera was described in 1883, the germ theory had taken its rightful place on the iron throne of disease biology. (laughs) (laughs) We're never going to stop. Nope. (laughs) And there were still, though, a few, more than a few miasmatists lingering on. And one of them, Pentenkoffer, drank an entire flask of cholera bacteria to prove that it wasn't the causative agent of the disease. Did he die? Did he die? Unfortunately, no. Ugh. No, he didn't get sick. Probably, though, because he had cholera as a youth. Oh. And so it didn't matter really yeah, either way. Yeah, he got like yeah. a mild or, or an asymptomatic infection probably. Right. So he might have killed somebody else by pooping into dirty water his bacteria-filled poop. Yeah, that's Great a Great guy. That's a what was point. his name? Karkoff? Pentenkoffer. Koffer. Either way, though, germ theory had won. That guy, it's not, there's nothing that that guy could actually have done. Yeah. And Pentenkoffer met his death in a very Game of Thrones way. Oh. Maybe. I don't know if it's that Game of Thrones. After realizing that his entire scientific career was based on a fallacy, he was, because he spent so much energy promoting miasmatism, Mm. he killed himself. Oh, now I feel really bad. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah, that's really sad. On a happier note, I don't know if you were going to mention this, mm. but I'd just like to point out for all the fans out there that you can visit the Broad Street Pump. Yes, you can. There is a little monument to Jon Snow there, and I want to go so badly. If you've been there or if you live near there, can you like tweet us a picture? Because it's one of my favorite things. That would be incredible. I love it. Bucket list. Bucket but list. But not poop bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> Night soil bucket list. <laughs> Uh, Okay, back to cholera. Linking the spread of cholera to unclean water was a huge motivator for developing sewage systems. Mm -hmm. And in wealthier countries, the disease pretty much disappeared. Wow. Yeah, this, this, the 1854 epidemic in London marked one of the last real epidemics in that area. That's awesome. Yeah, because they were able to isolate the reason why it was being transmitted and, uh, and stop that. That's great news. Tea drinking? Also may have helped. What? Boiled water. Oh. Isn't that crazy? That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Just like beer. Just like beer. Yeah. On a sad note, Uh the problem of waste management does not belong in the past by any means. Definitely not. There are many economically poor countries today that are still struggling with waste disposal and sanitation practices where diseases such as cholera are still very prevalent. Yeah. And in these places, it's kind of like a positive feedback loop. So these countries are unable to maintain or build adequate sanitation infrastructure because of the expense. And then cholera can take hold more easily, which then reduces people's ability to work, which then further destabilizes the economy. So cholera gets worse and so on and so on. Yeah. Cycles, 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 cycles. So 
Erin, I'm guessing that you've got some stuff to tell me about where we stand with cholera today. I sure do. So as you mentioned, we're basically currently in what is considered the seventh pandemic of cholera. So all the cholera in the world today can actually be traced back to a single origin that happened in 1961. And so my guess is that for most of our listeners, when they hear the word cholera today in 2017, they probably think Haiti. Yeah, I do. Uh, And it's likely because one of the most publicized outbreaks of cholera in recent history happened in Haiti in 2010. And if you haven't heard of it, or even if you have, this outbreak happened pretty directly as a result of UN peacekeepers who came to Haiti after the devastating earthquake that happened in January of 2010. And these peacekeepers had come from Nepal, where an outbreak of cholera had been happening, and they brought it with them. Oh, okay. I, had, yeah. I was wondering where they came from. Yeah, that it was Nepal. They had cholera. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so cholera has been endemic in Nepal for a very long time in the whole... Yeah, that whole region. And so the UN still hasn't technically admitted that they were responsible. Really? Even after epidemiological research and molecular strain typing of the cholera bacteria has pretty conclusively shown that that is where this epidemic came from. Um, They did issue an apology in December of last year about the way that they handled Haiti after the earthquake. That kind of sounds like, but yeah, I'm they, sorry that you were hurt by what I said. Yeah, that's kind of how, like, they didn't directly <laughs> take the blame for it. No. But anyways, that's probably a story for a different day. Um, <laughs> in the outbreak in Haiti, which, to be clear, is not over. It's still going on. Cholera is still a problem today. Over 9,000 people since 2010 have died. Wow. And over 700,000 people, which is about 7% of the population of Haiti, have been sickened. They're averaging, the stat that I saw is that to this day, they're averaging 37 people a month dying from cholera. Oh, my God. And if you think of all of the hurricanes and everything that have been happening in the Caribbean at this time, like... Because cholera is a disease that is very strongly associated with contaminated sources of drinking water and lack of sanitation, any time that you see destabilization of infrastructure, whether that's due to natural disasters or war, war, man-made conflicts, um, you see outbreaks of diseases such as cholera. Right. Today, or in 2015 rather, since that's the most recent stats that the WHO had on their website, 42 countries reported 172,000 cases of cholera that resulted in 1,304 deaths in 2015 in one year. Okay. But what's really astonishing to me, especially in doing this research, is that estimates of how many cases there actually are, 2.9 million. Interesting. Yeah. So, and this has to do with asymptomatic cases or so it's probably not seeking treatment probably both so probably there are some asymptomatic cases um but a lot of it has to do with a lack of surveillance and a lack of reporting in a lot of areas right um you also because this is a disease that can strike so rapidly you can have people falling ill and dying in remote areas long before they have time to get to a hospital facility or anything like that estimates of the number of deaths that likely happen each year due to cholera are 95,000. 
Whoa. Yeah. And this information is from a paper that used mathematical modeling and a bunch of disease data to make these estimates. So they estimate that it's actually happening, that cholera is likely endemic in about 60, over 60 countries, not just the 42 that actually report it. And the estimates range from 1.4 to 4 million cases per year. Wow. And between 21,000 to 143,000 deaths. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, it's a really big range because this is there's not super great data from a lot of places. But still. But still, it's definitely a lot more than the 1,000 deaths that are actually reported. Yeah. So in addition to estimating the number of cases of cholera, this study also looked at what the most important risk factors were. My voice cracked. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that. Yeah. Um, unsurprisingly. I'll fix it in post. Oh, oh yeah. thanks. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> but unsurprisingly, the two most important risk factors, do you want to guess what they are? The two most important risk factors for, for, cholera? for cholera in a country? I think I'm going to try. Okay. Sanitation. Definitely. Water infrastructure? Exactly. Access to clean water? Exactly. The percentage of the population without sustainable access to improved sanitation and um, improved drinking water sources. And blood type? And not blood type. <laughs> but there are there are differences in susceptibility to cholera with different blood types, right? Weirdly, yeah. What blood type you are can actually affect the likelihood that you get infected with cholera and how severe the case is once you are infected. That's so weird. It's super weird. So people who are blood type O, like me. Oh, like me. I'm AB. You're so rare. <laughs> I'm so common. Yeah. <laughs> um, so people who are type O are less likely to get infected with cholera, which sounds great, Uh-huh. but... If they get infected, they actually are much more likely to have severe symptoms. Okay. That's so a bummer. It's a bummer. Yeah. Um, so what's cool is that in some parts of the world, for example, in the Ganges River Delta, where cholera is endemic and has been for a very long time, you see a very, very low prevalence of people who are blood type O. Interesting. So one hypothesis is that this is at least in part because there is selection against this blood type because it's associated with higher risk of severe symptoms. I've always wondered about the geographical distribution of blood types. It's really interesting. We were just looking at maps of that. Like, yeah. It's so weird that there's... I had no idea there was such a range in distribution. Mm, it's huge. And so in Latin America, for example, um, there's a really high prevalence of blood type O. So all of like North and South America is like mm. really high prevalence of blood type O. And so we see much more severe disease due to cholera. You have greater need for rehydration treatment and much greater rates of hospitalization. Whoa. Yeah. It's really interesting. That is really fascinating. Yeah. So how worried do we need to be about cholera? It's a good question. It's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. I would say overall, the biggest thing that we can do to prevent and majorly reduce the burden of cholera is improve access to sanitation and water worldwide. Um, and that's something that's very doable. It just honestly takes investment, you know, right, to make that happen. People on the ground going out and trying to help create clean water sources. Exactly. The Gates Foundation right. is big in trying to do that. There are a lot of organizations that are doing that that I wish I had looked up the names of all of them. So maybe what we'll do is post on yeah. our Facebook page some of the organizations that are doing really great work on both sanitation and water improvement. Right. 
the Carter Center, which last episode <laughs> I kept saying was the Carter Foundation. I was confusing it with the Gates Foundation. It's pretty close. It's actually the Carter Center. They also do a lot of work in terms of reducing the burden right. in uh, neglected tropical diseases in countries. Yeah. So yeah, I'd say overall, cholera definitely is still prevalent in a lot of parts of the world. It's still something that's killing people every day. And it doesn't need to be, which is what's really sad about it, is that it's, it is treatable and it's preventable. Could it be eradicated? That's a really good question. It's an interesting question. I don't know, to be honest. Because it can persist in the environment, I think it would be really, really hard. There are some interesting therapies out there that we don't have time to get into that could make a really big dent. Because in theory, if you could eliminate this bacteriophage from the cholera, mm. then you're not going to be having symptomatic infections. Mm -hmm. So then it just becomes another microbe in your gut. Mm, okay. But because it does persist in the environment, it's a disease that would be very, very difficult to eradicate. I do think we could certainly reduce the disease burden and the mortality rate to basically zero. Right. Maybe that could happen in our lifetime. Who knows? Wouldn't that be wonderful? It would be really wonderful. Is that it? Uh, what books did you read Okay, this week? I've got a few. If you want a big overview of cholera itself, there's a book called Cholera the Biography by Christopher Hamlin. And if you want to learn more about the non-HBO Jon Snow, <laughs> you should check out The Ghost Map by Stephen Johnson. It's a pretty thrilling book, actually, about the race to try to find out what was the cause of cholera, the quite frankly shocking pushback from the miasmatists about germ theory. And also in The Ghost Map is where the quote from the beginning of this episode came from. Uh, a couple of other places that I looked for info was The Power of Plagues by Erwin Sherman and The Cambridge History of Human Disease by Kenneth Kippel. And a bonus is Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, uh, which is a great fiction book. Uh, and most of the information about the biology of cholera I got from this really interesting paper called Cholera Transmission, the Host, Pathogen, and Bacteriophage Dynamic by Nelson et al. in Nature Reviews Microbiology. That was published in 2009. It's a really nice review paper, and there's a bunch of other ones out there as well. And most of the data about the mathematical modeling to estimate the actual burden of cholera worldwide comes from the article Updated Burden of Cholera in Endemic Countries, and that was in the journal Plus Neglected Tropical Diseases that was published in 2015 by Ali et al. So you can find that. Before we go, I thought of the most brilliant idea. Oh, tell it to me. Kit Harrington. Mm -hmm who plays Jon Snow in HBO's Game mm -hmm. of Thrones, mm -hmm. needs to play Jon Snow, the epidemiologist, in a biopic. <laughs> that would be really funny. I'm serious. I mean, are you listening, Kit? Are you <laughs> listening, screenwriters everywhere? Yeah. I mean, we gave, you, we gave you a plug last episode, you know, the smallpox movie. We're basically doing your jobs for you. Yep. Yep. You're welcome. Welcome. And speaking of more thanks and welcomes, thank you to Bloodmobile, who provided the music for this and all of our episodes. Yep. Thanks. You're the best, Bloodmobile. 
And also a big thank you to the band Cholera, who let us use their song, The Answer to Infection, as the fade out song at the end of this episode. It's awesome. You guys should totally check them out. Just wait for it. It's so good. Once again, rate, review, and subscribe. Yep. We'll do it again. We'll tell you more. And thanks so much for listening. We hope you are having fun, because we are. Wash your hands. Yep. Filthy animals. (laughs) 